Hello. 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 It's me. No big deal or anything, just the biggest baby face in Newcastle. I mean, this is no surprise. You are a you are an asset to the wrestling scene, and people over here in the UK can see that. I'm an ass to the wrestling scene. Have you have you witnessed my buns in that tight oh, spandex? Oh, those buns! You you got you got you got some buns. Oh, I got a big juicy fat ass. Hell yeah! Big juicy fat ass. Use it to fight conservatives. Creamy milky legs that I've started showing off on Twitch for the validation, and in getting it. So you know what? It's not that pathetic. You doing that the other day on stream got me getting my legs out on oh, stream oh, when you raided oh, over and legs oh, gang. I got my legs out. Oh, legs. Legs, gang. Conrad! I'm going to be the only one who doesn't wind up getting banned for TOS violations. <laughs> Such is the inherent misogyny of the system. Indeed. And I am the one who is wearing the t-shirt on stream advocating theft from a wholly owned subsidiary right? of the parent company. But you've done topless streams before, you cheeky gal. Yeah. Well, my my tits aren't problematic. That's the that's the thing. Yeah. This is <laughs> double standard. Double standard. Yeah. Look, if Comrade if Comrade can get his tits out, we should be able to get ours out on Twitch. Right? That's all I'm saying. You acceptably titted old dog you. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so, you know, just just all of this is to say that I am the biggest baby face in... Let's just take also, this Belle. off. Yeah. You, you got me as I was saying it. <laughs> over there. Well, at this point, we can just lay the blame squarely on Phoenix now. <laughs> no, no, no. See, I, I, I think, first of all, don't, that, that, that sounds mean. And second of all, it's just a box for the Polquisition bingo. It's, that's your centre square <laughs> That's right it, yeah. Centre square. Steph, don't forget of the collar. In fact, half the squares could be Steph, don't forget of something. But one thing I haven't forgotten is that I'm the most over baby face in Newcastle. Yeah. My voice is a little bit croaky. It's still, it's better than it was on Monday's Gymquisition. <laughs> um, I lost my voice. I was a little under the weather. It wasn't the Rona. But then I did the um, North Wrestling's uh, losing my edge event on this past Saturday, where I had the homecoming of a lifetime. I am still blown away by the response I got. We knew going in that I would have to go face or like lean face. I wasn't expecting a reaction so huge that we are now looking at me as a long term baby face. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. The UK's had to wait a while to have you back, and they're excited to have you here. But also, like, look, if people like you, they're going to be excited about an opportunity to see you and not have to boo at you. Yeah. To be allowed to be excited about your presence after a long time away, I think it makes sense. It was one of those things where you're like, when we can't fight the positive response because a lot of fans were confirmed to turn up but it be yeah i just i was taken aback in the ring which doesn't often happen so yeah yeah that is to say i had a very good uk debut in wrestling um very excited about 
the next event, which is March 26th. Yeah. Uh, that's the next North Wrestling event in Newcastle, England at the Anarchy Brewing Company. I'm very excited about it because it's going to be my first actual UK match. I will be there. I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a banner in the front row. I've already got plans what I'm going to have on it. I'm very excited to do the thing. I'm excited to see the banner. Yeah, Laura's going to be there. Yeah. Um, so I'm very excited for her to, to see me live. I'm going to see you pick fights. Yeah. It's going to be great. You're going to beat so many people up and I'll be so proud of you. And between now and then, like, is a full course I've got with um, Pursuit Pro Wrestling for training. So I'm gonna be at the peak of my game for this match. Like, this is fingers crossed. This is gonna be the best match I've ever had. It's gonna be a full match. Like, no gimmicks, no protections. It's been so nice seeing how quickly you've hit the ground running over here in on, on the wrestling stuff in terms of like you found somewhere to be practicing, you 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 you're liking who you're practicing with. You've you've landed on your feet really well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I just Pennsylvania didn't know what it had when it had Commander Sterling. That's what it comes down to. I've I've done more in two weeks than I did in Pennsylvania in terms of like like career a- accomplishments. Yeah. And and I will be coming back to Pennsylvania, a very different commander. I I am gonna go back to enjoy wrestling for some shows, and and it's, things are gonna be fucking different. But that is to say that this is, of course, the PlayStation Vita special. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Long overdue. Long overdue. I've got a theme tune. So, what's everybody's favourite uh, reason the PS Vita was a tremendous failure? Um, I think it's... I'm, I, I'm a traditionalist. I yeah, stick to yeah. Sony didn't provide any real support for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think a big part of it is the complete mis-selling of the strength of the device leading to a lot of people having missold expectations mm-hmm. and therefore being very disappointed with what was technically a pretty good console, but it wasn't as good as people have been sort of hoodwinked into thinking it was nice nice i'm gonna put it down to the fact that you can't download metal gear solid directly onto it mm. oh is this one of those things where you have to have a ps3 and download it there and you gotta get a ps3 download it there connect the ps vita um copy it over like just a whole thing and they said all oh, right it's time to time to wear the dirty laundry again sony said that they they promised for months that you were, they were gonna put PS1 games on the PS Vita store so I could just download Metal Gear Solid and put it on the PS Vita. And then they finally happened and they did a Nintendo. It was like, here's some. <laughs> Here is some of them. That's what I thought, actually. That was the comparison I was immediately drawing. Is like, yeah, they did a Nintendo on that yeah. Vita, didn't they? <laughs> Have some. I'm still bit... It's got nothing to do with the PS Vita failing. (laughs) I am still steamed about it. All these years later, I am still pissed off. When did that thing come out? Early 2010s or something? I'm still pissed off. The PlayStation Vita, of course, was a handheld gaming console, the successor in many ways to the PlayStation Portable. And just like the PlayStation Portable, Sony got fucking bored of it. 
before everyone else did. Everyone else was like, I was enjoying that. And Sony was like, well, we weren't. There's some things about it that I genuinely love and I wish we would see in other handhelds. I adore it. Like, one of my favourite things that, that about it is the, the touchscreen on uh, the touch panel on the back of it. Because the biggest problem with touchscreen games is often, I don't want to stretch my thumbs away from the buttons and sticks, and I don't want to put my hands in front of the screen so I can't see what I'm doing. Having a touch panel on the back was great. Probably not like worth the cost it involved to put it there, no, but no. I loved it. It also wasn't used very well by a lot of games. Oh, most games, yeah. yeah. Most games ignore it ever existed, but you occasionally get something like Tearaway where you stick your finger through the back of the screen and it's in the world and you're like, ah. Oh. Tearaway was very good. I've, I've got a, a physical copy on its way to me. Because one thing I've learned, like, re I've been doing some replaying of the PS Vita. So I guess we, you know, this is sort of like games yeah. we've been playing. Like it's we're we're on track, um, but I do want to talk a little bit just about the PS Vita, if that's okay. Yeah, go oh, ahead, please. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah. So one thing I've noticed going back and playing the PS Vita is, my God, the games are still fucking pricey. Yeah. Call of Duty Black Ops Declassified, a Fucking dreadful game, by the way. I haven't replayed it this week, but it's so bad I fucking remember everything about how bad that game was. My favourite bit being the fact that enemies would just sort of drop their grenades on the floor and then walk into them. Um, terrible fucking thing. It's like 40 bucks on the PS Store. What? What the... The thing is, is because no one bought the, the 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 handheld, they've got to fleece the people who did buy it for as much as they can. Just fleecing them. It's supply and demand. Demand is low. Yeah. And yeah, like CEX is selling them for like £15. Yeah. So like you can get them cheaper. But here's the thing. Because of what we we as nerdy collectors collectively have done to ourselves, there are some where you're just fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you want Silent Hill Book of Memories, I think that might be another 40 bucker on, like, 30, 40 bucks on the PS Store. I looked it up. It's like 50 to $60 for a physical copy. Jesus. Because, Ooh. of course. Um, so, yeah, like, there's this balance of that. But, because I've had the same PlayStation account since they were a thing... I've been playing Silent Hill Book of Memories because I've still got a yeah. copy from when I had a review copy back when I was relevant. So that's good because the game is not worth money because <laughs> it's not very good. One thing I've also been sort of fondly remembering about those days is every time I'm on like the PlayStation Store or looking on the back of a Vita game box and I immediately, when a sentence starts with utilising the unique PlayStation Vita, I can just roll my eyes and throw the thing over a fence <laughs> because... With the with the exception of things like Tearaway, so many of the unique uses of the PlayStation Vita touchscreens and stuff is shit. Just pathetic. Like, actually pathetic. Where it's... I used to complain about this in, in old Jimquisitions all the time, when the Wii was big, when Kinect was a thing, when, when they would, like, PlayStation Move, they were just pushing all this stuff. Yeah, I used to complain about it all the time. I was like, stop releasing tech demos. The tech's being demoed. We know yeah. that if you move a thing, yeah. the thing moves. I know that if I swipe a thing, the thing swipes. Stop it. But I've also been reconfirming what I've said for many years. The best use of a touchscreen ever, in my opinion, is on the PlayStation Vita. Uh, Unit 13 does it. 
Killzone Mercenary does it, right? Mm. There is a little button on the touchscreen near the rest of the buttons where if you press it, you throw a grenade. That's it. That's it. It's another button because the buttons were limited. They just added another button in proximity. You just move it over, press it, and a thing happens. The thing is, is like the best games that use touchscreens that way don't have it be specifically a button in a set position. It's, hey, look, if you tap just sort of on that side of the screen in this sort of range, it'll do the thing. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to think about precision because you don't have touch to tell you you're in the right position. Great. That works wonderfully. That's the thing. Like, like the same thing with motion controls, or specifically gyro controls. Like, I think every first-person shooter on the Switch, indeed third-person, any shooter on the Switch, needs gyro aiming. But not exclusively. What you do, and Pokemon does this as well, yeah. um, use the right stick to get a good sort of aiming region, and then just use the gyro a bit mm-hmm. to fine-tune yeah. it. It's perfect yeah mercenary does it on the vita not enough like you max out the gyro and it's still it's i don't get quite the level of movement and precision i need but these are what like when you have touchscreen and motion controls they should enhance what's go like what already works not replace what already works Mm. they should be there to improve and so many of these games like there's a reason we don't see this stuff anymore because it wasn't better. It wasn't better most of the time. We still have gyro in the Switch, and we have some motion stuff on, um, you know, PlayStation controllers and stuff. Because now that the industry has, like, stopped creaming its genes over these unique interfaces and just used them as enhancements to the existing interface, it's worth keeping some of this stuff. Keep a little bit of gyro. Keep a little bit of swipe. and and. Not make it so that, you know, menus in the middle of the fucking screen are exclusively touch. God's sake. It's the PlayStation Vita special, everyone. Um, uh, Hang on. Um, So, yeah, I've been playing a lot of PlayStation Vita slash PSP games, the ones that I bought years ago that I can just download on the Vita. So I'll be talking about a couple of those throughout the episode today. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Should we talk about some other things we've played this week? We can. We should. Yeah. Conrad, what have you been playing this week? Uh, the same thing you have. It's all Pokemon. You mean you, you, you've been playing a bit of Pokemon? I caved. This is a turn of affairs. Yeah, well. Yeah. I think I blame Steph. <laughs> I am a bitch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Steph pushed me over the line here because Laura going on and on about how much fun... <laughs> She's having with a Pokemon game. That's that's part of the course, you know. Yeah, right. I I can't blame you for not being convinced by me liking a Pokemon game. It's me. Right. But Steph comes along and says this is refreshing in reference to a Pokemon game, and now I suddenly have to take it very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it's real fucking good. Yeah. And as someone who hasn't played a Pokemon really in like 15 years. This feels like the logical progression. Yeah. Right. Could I say the the thing that got me like to realize how much you are digging this is when I realized how similarly you've been playing it to my very obsessive playthrough I've been doing. Yeah. Where you've you you'd made it like three or four ranks into the like survey ranking and barely crossed the first bridge in the first area. And I was like, 
Oh, Comrade, Comrade's going all in on this one. Yeah, I just hit rank four. And that's that's actually how I often play these games that present me yeah. with clear checkpoints, you know, in open worlds. Uh, Assassin's Creed games were the bane of my fucking existence because I would feel compelled to try and track down all the little feathers and nonsense in an environment before I would move on to another one. You know, if it was within my grasp to get, I would get it before I move on. Yeah. And I am running in to that a bit with this the nice thing is that the volume of it is so overwhelming that fatigue is starting to set in and i will inevitably abandon this and move on and feel okay with that decision mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's very much how this game sort of is gonna be for a lot of people yeah but while you're in that loop, it's a real satisfying loop of ticking off boxes. It's very, very good. There are... Th I have things. Oh, like, yeah. The UI it confuses me at points. And not just because this is the first time I've really spent significant time with a Switch in a long time. And Nintendo is the only one that hasn't abandoned their confirmed decline convention in the West. <laughs> Infuriating. Uh, so I'm constantly doing shit wrong just generally on the Switch. But things like, why is it that I can name the item boxes in the regular item box screen, but if I want to name a pasture, I have to go to the view all pasture screen? Yeah. That's weird. That is a little weird. Yeah, you know, but, but that's the thing. Every complaint I have with this is some minor insignificant thing yeah uh it's it's just a little inconvenience yeah like if you want to nitpick this game there is a lot of nitpicking you can do with things like um you know the the opening can be a little handholdy for a bit longer sure. than it probably needs to be before it opens like it takes the training wheels off there are some Little finicky things. There's like little things here and there that, like, I wish there was just an auto sort Pokemon by. Oh God! Uh, oh yeah. Alphabetized or um, Pokedex number. More sorting would be great. Oh God! It, yes. Yeah, and like they've done that in the past. Like, uh, let's go Pikachu and Eevee had that as an option. You could just go sort all of my Pokemon by Dex order, so I can clearly see, like, see them sorted. Mm -hmm. No option for that. I've got little mechanical things, but like the thing that I think I feel really positive about this with is these are all things that are very fixable. And if they do another game like this, they fucking better. Yeah, they better. They better be a yeah. do it. Um, like I don't. Would it be too much of a break from structure to bring up one of the new stories? Uh, is this the one about sales of this game? I'm assuming. While we're on this. And yeah. 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 This, this, in its first week, Legends Arceus sold six and a half million copies, uh, which I need to double check the, the stat. But, uh, yeah, apparently that is more than the sales of Sword and Shield, the last mainline games in the series combined. Perfect. And that was a mainline Pokemon game they got people to buy twice because there were two versions of it. This is already outselling that as a single game in its first week. This is selling very well. That works. Yeah, they should uh, take a lesson from that. Absolutely. Like, this is what I've wanted, because I've said uh, on stream, I've said here, like, this is what Pokemon needs to be now. Yeah. Well, here's what I will say. This is just me going off my gut, gut instinct. I think a big part of why we got no promotion about this game until it was basically out was because they were very confident people were going to like it 
Yeah. And to me, that says if they are that confident that they were willing to like wait until the last second to talk about it and to not like hype it up in advance and try and explain what it was. I think they know they've got something good on their hands, and I hope that means that this is indicative of their general direction. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. I like the setting. That's something else that I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by this sort of first filling out of the Pokedex and the idea of Pokeballs being this new invention that seemingly a lot of people just know how to make. Um, but I think my favorite bit is the space-time distortion that justifies oh. your presence. Yep, yep. I think we're far enough out that we can talk about the fact this is a weird time travel game. It's a weird time travel. Well, and you discover this in the opening minutes. Yeah. I, I don't feel bad talking about this at all. No, but also, like, yeah. <laughs> I'd just like to draw attention to the fact that there is a space-time disruption yeah. in this world that people can see are aware of the existence of and refer to as a space-time distortion. <laughs> yes. I love that. Yeah. Because it's it's that sort of just ultimate shrug off. I mean, look, I'll say this much, and this is very, very, very early game plot discussion. There are two groups here that both believe that there is a god of theirs that lives up in that rift. One of them believes in the god of time, one in the god of space. The two of them... Collectively, that's why it keeps getting referred to as the space-time distortion. And it's like, okay, there's a vague reference, there's a vague thing, but like... <laughs> Here's why I find it so believable. Because if one person talks to another and says, is that a space-time distortion up in the sky? And the other one goes, <laughs> yeah. And the other one says, is that not weird to you? The other one then points over there and says, that dog's on fucking fire. And it's fine with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I get... yeah, on reflection, a space-time distortion isn't that weird, is it? Right, but, but okay, dog on fire. That is a much easier concept to wrap <laughs> one's brain around instantaneously <laughs> versus space-time distortion in this clearly somewhat yeah. feudal society. But if, if, if we're looking at... If we're looking at, like, progression of scale, I think once you've seen a dog on fire, you're mentally prepared to handle a space-time distortion. Look, we're in a world where it's like, oh yeah, no, like, gods are a literal thing that occasionally you just see them roaming about the world. There's like, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. There's a big electric man over there. <laughs> we we got to talk about like immediate threats as well, because it's like <laughs> space time distortion up in the sky. Okay, but it's far away. <laughs> Three yards over there, that's a fucking massive horse, and it's angry. Right, and where did they I'd find the worried. time to learn about the space time you know, distortion <laughs> field when they've got the giant flaming horse on their doorstep? Too busy, yeah, I'd be too busy screaming at the horse. <laughs> the, the, the internal logic is a little bit like hand wavy just to have an excuse to fucking do the thing. Yeah, and it's great. Hey, it's great. It doesn't take itself seriously, and it just doesn't waste any time trying to act like that's a serious, important thing. But I love that it is simultaneously trying to flesh out its lore while completely hand-waving away a huge part of this edition. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I've, maybe it's just weariness. Maybe it's like, this is the third night in a row where I've been poisoned by a literal fucking ghost. I cannot <laughs> with a space-time distortion right now. Putting that aside, like, genuinely, I think it's a really smart idea contextually in terms of what it does for the plot. Because, like, one of the big things that people have said for years about Pokemon is, why are we sending a child to go off on this adventure to go fighting animals and risking their life out in the wilderness at 10 years old. This is just, it's tradition. That's just the way it's always been done. We've always sent our children out to die at the hands of merciless flaming beasts. But the thing is, is that that this closes the loop. It's like, (laughs) oh, oh, you're the person who knows how to capture Pokemon because you're from the future where everyone does that. Therefore, the first Pokedex was made by a child. Therefore, that's probably why there's a tradition of it now, of sending children to do it. And if there's one thing I've learned, if there's one thing I've learned from the time I've spent in America, it's if, it's that if something happened once, that's tradition. That's tradition. Yeah. You can't change that. It worked once. It'll work again. Oh, it's just, it's endlessly charming. And, you know, I can eat, obviously, immediately, you can see the comparisons that people are drawing to Breath of the Wild in this. The game it makes me think of, of a lot is, is Horizon. Yeah. Actually, that's that's the one it evokes for me. Those alpha Pokemon just being out there, uh, the sense of, of uh, stealth approach being so desirable in a lot of circumstances yeah. really has that more for me than... Uh, than I got out of Breath of the Wild. I see that. Yeah, especially, like, just the way the stealth works as well. Like, you know, just that sort of seamless duck into grass and then you are invisible forever. Mm -hmm. Like, just completely. But, like, with a real speed to it. Like, it's not ponderous stealth. Right. Yeah, that can, that's an apt comparison. It it reminds me of little bits of lots of different things, and I don't think any of them I dislike the, the things it's pulling from other games. No, I think they've done a very solid amalgamation of the better ideas that have come out of open world games in the last couple of decades, and that's that's... They've made... A, they've crafted a brilliant game. Yeah. It, it's just... It's inviting... It's enthusiastic and cheerful uh, while still having a sense of challenge to it. Uh, the the approach to collecting Pokemon, the speed with which combat goes now is, I mean, just the not having to constantly tap through shit. Mm. And one of my favorite things about this is that, like, I've been thinking about this game a lot. It doesn't have a lot more content than previous Pokemon games did in terms of, like, workload for the developers. Um, The number of Pokemon that are there that are being animated, that they've created character models for, is very similar to past Pokemon games that have received a lot of criticism for their minimal-sized Pokedexes. But because of the shift of not just, I saw that character model and caught one of it and never thought about it again, it's making it so that that smaller amount of created assets is resulting in a lot more playtime for players and a vastly reduced amount of content that is being made, seen once, and completely run past. And I think that's probably going to work out really nicely. Well, and it fights the fatigue that's just inherent to these kinds of games, Pokemon specifically, where it's a lot of doing the same thing over and over again once. Yes. And yeah, I'm uh, so I'm thrilled. And I will be playing this for weeks to come. Lovely. I'm genuinely like, 
I I thought Steph would get on on board with this because like I don't know. I had a vibe Steph would get on with it. Conrad, you were a real question mark and you're either going to love it or hate it. You're either going to think it was real good or you were going to really not gel with it. I'm pleasantly surprised. I love open world games. It's it's m- recognizing my inability to commit to them. Yeah. Because they are tedious and long and dull. <laughs> yeah. But I love them. And once in a while, one will come along. This is the one right now. Yeah. And I, I, I've been trying to think about why this has been clicking for me in ways that like a lot of comparable open world games don't. I sometimes get fatigued with open world games when I have too many simultaneous things I should be doing at the same time having a core plot that feels like I'm supposed to be seeing it. And that I feel like I'm spending too long doing nothing and not progressing. Yeah. And because this has like a fairly minimal plot, and it in between, like, yeah, you'll have like lots of different little side quests to do, but they do all boil down to go do Pokemon. I feel a lot less like bad for sticking around in a place, and a lot less pulled in a anxious like an anxiety inducing number of directions. And that means I can jump in and out of it in small or big chunks, and that's okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I caught a shiny. I caught two shinies. You did. I got a shiny glammy out, and I got a shiny ride on, and I've still got my shiny purple wormple from um, Stream Viewer. Yeah, you you got two shinies that weren't traded to you that you found your own. I found them. I have also found a shiny. Oh, what you get? What you get? What you get, bro? I got a Shinx. A Shinx? Yeah. Shiny Shinx. Shinx is a good one. It's 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 got a like largely yellow colour scheme in the, mm-hmm. in the shiny one. It it looks pretty cool. And I've taken down my first alpha. Oh nice one. Yeah. Also the sh- the the Luxray or the sh- uh, the Luxio. I think it's a Luxio, yeah. My first was a Snorlax. Oh, you went for the Snorlax first. I went for the Snorlax first. It, I, I spent a long time before I went for an alpha. Um, Me too. So, uh, yeah, I was kind of late in, and then I saw a Snorlax, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it now. Now's the time. Once you start doing a couple, you realize they're not as intimidating as you fear, necessarily. And they're significantly less intimidating when they're on your team, I've noticed. Oh, they're great when they're on your team. Fuck it, hell. I, I think I'm going to do the Snorlax next, probably. Um, I attempted the the Rapidash a little too early, <laughs> uh, and it... Yeah. it it wrecked me, but I mean, when I when I went to fight the the Luxio, it was a two round thing, like just devastating. And I had gone to the effort to prepare a team of Gravelers to take care of it. No, not necessary. Just yeah, done with. I've accidentally killed quite a few. Yeah. 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 I want to do that Snorlax. I mean, the the bit of advice I'll give both of you is that most of the starters, if you go to that big buff lady in the training grounds in in the main town, uh, false swipes is a move you can learn. Oh yeah, that's a real good one. Which that will always leave a Pokemon with at least one HP. It will never kill them. It's a good, like, get you right down to the line and not fuck you over one. So yeah, go learn false swipes. Yeah, I'm I'm at the point where I've started being able to grow mints. Oh yeah, I'm loving being able to not have to worry about that shit. I know, right? Being able to use that grit and then up the the effort levels on them, and then changing the nature of them so you get the exact stat distribution you need. Yeah, like I know that's gonna piss off the diehards who like get off on spreadsheets, but fuck them. I am I now have the perfect Gengar. It's massive and it's big and it's got the right nature and it's got the right stats. 
this is the thing I said back in Sword and Shield. Like, that was one of the best things that game did, oh, was yeah. made it so that literally every element of a Pokemon could, in theory, be made perfect later on. Yeah. And, you know, there'd be perfectionists who'll be like, that's not the right, the true way to do it. But it's like, nah, fuck you. Fuck you. This works just fine. Bottle caps are fine. Mints are fine. Yeah. Grit is fine. I, I like it as a system, and I think grip works particularly well for a game like this where you're going to be catching so many Pokemon, and it's like, mm. hey, look, all that catching you did yeah. gives you the resources to go perfect your stats. Perfect. Done. And I, I think I've mentioned this, I can't remember if I mentioned it here or on stream, um, where I was like, this makes my OCD and my ADHD like play off each other, where I'm obsessed with the idea of not having a Pokemon with the perfect nature and stats, but I'm, I don't have the attention span to go and gig, like, grind for it right so i just play the whole game bothered mildly and then i'm not bothered mildly yay perfect also i found a shiny uh the the the, the new voltorb that looks like it's made of wood Ooh. earlier today but a shiny wooden voltorb it's great it's very cool looking <laughs> yeah once you've got a few areas open like if you if, if you want Shiny Pokemon, if they're an interesting thing, just show up to the mass outbreaks when they start popping up. Shiny rates at them are so good. Mm. Oh yeah, I, I want to. I've only done an EV outbreak and a fucking Zubat outbreak. The fuck? Every everywhere in the world of Pokemon is a fucking Zubat outbreak. Yeah. But I don't need a special one. But yeah, I'm I'm trying to keep an eye on those because I want more shinies. I want shinies yeah. of Pokemon I actually use. Yeah, e even if you don't, because here's the thing: once you start unlocking like. You know, a, a few different areas, they pop up a lot more often, and even if you've done zero legwork, show up to one of those, you've got surprisingly good odds of just stumbling on a shiny there. Yeah. Yeah, that, that Pokemon's real good. I, I'm still I'm still playing so much of it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very good. It's very good. Yeah. What about the rest of you? I played a thing that wasn't Pokemon this week. <gasps> I started playing something new because I've been intrigued by it. Sifu? S-I-F-U? Mm -hmm. I've heard about this game, mostly complaints about the representation in it. Yeah. But it, the yeah. game as a game looked good. Yeah, so I picked it up and started playing it and then went, hmm. Oh no. It's. I've seen some people say that it's not great representation and that is that seems like a worthwhile criticism to bear in mind. Um, but I've played a bit of it and I'll talk about it like, as as a game, it is a very difficult uh, melee combat game. Oh, difficult! So it's difficult, but it's oh. it's very polished in its its execution. It's it's very dodge counter and melee hit focused uh, game. Yeah, that has a lot of different mechanics you can be doing at once. And the the, the thing about it is that it flows very very well at its best. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of different mechanics at once, and if you're stringing them together, it's a beautifully fluid experience. It takes a lot of getting your hands used to. Because there are so many options in combat, it takes some learning its very specific system of play. And that is a barrier that is going to make it difficult to get into, and I can see that I will never... That's not a game I would ever be able to complete because I don't have the dexterity and coordination to do it. But I can I can feel very early on how good its systems work together in terms of like flowing through combat. I want to talk about the, the gimmick this game has. Yeah. So the gimmick is 
anytime you die in this game on a level, and there's several, you know, different levels you can go to to go fight towards and defeat certain bosses, you have the option to continue. And instead of a life system, you age your character based on how many times you've died. Oh. So if you've died, the first time you die, you age one year. You go from 20 to 21 years old. The second time you die, that's two deaths you've had, you age by two years. The third time you die, you age by three years. And this is your sort of life system. Is And there is a cap, there is a certain age at which your character will die. The way that it's set up is that, let's say you do the first level and you die five times and you're in your 30s or whatever, you'll start the next level in your 30s. Yeah, I, I'm in my 30s and feel like I've died five times. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> You, you can go back to that first level and try and do it better with fewer deaths. Yeah. And that will retroactively lower your age in the later levels. Ah. Huh. So you're basically, like, trying to get as far as you can. Like, you're pushing forward to get resources to do upgrades to improve your stats. Huh. Like, to get better at the game. To then go back to earlier levels and do better runs of them so that you've got a bit more wiggle room to push yourself a bit further forward. Yeah, that's a, a novel... Well, maybe not novel, but it's a, it's a, a, an interesting approach to take for this, yeah. Yeah, and there are, there are some, some mechanics that I don't... I, I've, not had an, I've not played enough of it to know whether I like this or not, but I find it interesting. It's a little bit roguelike-ish mm -hmm. in that if you go back to an earlier level and do it better and, you know, reduce the number of deaths you took and lower your age, you will lose some of the upgrades you did later in the run. You're in a new timeline, you're doing better, but you're in a new timeline. Right. But if you upgrade an, a certain upgrade, like, enough times during enough runs, it will become permanent. Huh. Um, and it will start to persist. So you are unlocking permanent upgrades, but there is a sort of back and forth flow of trying to improve the early parts of the game and working towards more overall upgrades as you push forward. It is an unforgiving game with a very complicated set of controls that... It's the kind of game that I think would be wonderful to watch someone else play who is talented at it, because mm. it is a very good-looking game with a wonderful... like The mechanics all flow together really wonderfully, but it is intimidating to control <laughs> and i know that i would not be able to get much further with it but also yeah go go read criticism that's more aware of the problems with representation in this than mine but it, it's a it's a mechanically very interesting game that has a lot of neat ideas but is it's not going to be welcoming to play. Right. It, it's it's very, you get good or you don't, we're not going to accommodate you if you don't get good. Or at least that's how it's felt to me. Yeah. Yeah, it looked interesting. Um, like, gameplay-wise. Um, looked good. But hearing it described, it doesn't actually sound like my thing now. Yeah, it's... I I want it to be my thing, and I'm glad I played it because I, I'm glad that I got to experience these mechanics, but it's not a game that I'm desperate to go back to because I know I'm going to hit a wall and not be able to get further. Yeah. Oh. 
Uh, what about both of you? Have you played either of you played anything else? You played any other Vita game stuff? Oh well, well it's the PlayStation Vita special, isn't it? Uh, it is. Yeah. So, so I hope you've played some more Vita games. Oh, I've played plenty. I've played. I've played video games. Um, so yeah. Uh, I mentioned Book of Memories, Silent Hill Book of Memories. Replayed some of that. I gave it like a six out of ten. After going to bat for it, after being the only person back in the day who like tried to give it decent coverage, because uh, this was back when I was doing the whole. This is when Fuck Konami was starting that whole thing. Um, I was still at Destructoid. God, was that back at Destructoid era? Wow. Yeah. Frustrated at Konami not pushing its own games to the point where, you know, after eventually criticising them too much, they blacklisted me and wouldn't grant me an interview at E3 to talk to WayForward, who are working on Silent Hill Book of Memories, mm. even though I was the only one on the planet Earth who wanted to do that. <laughs> So instead, Adam oh. Tierney, uh, the game director and person who sends weird cameos um, to <laughs> me and Conrad and Jonathan Holmes, met me outside the booth. We we had to slink off so he could give a rogue interview so his game would get talked about. Um, so yeah. Uh, I went to bat for it, but it wasn't a very good game. <laughs> it was fine. There was a lot of pushback from fans. Fans hated it before it came out because they didn't realise that this wasn't going to replace Silent Hill. It was just a fucking handheld spin-off. It's like a hack and slash dungeon crawler, but Silent Hill, like Diablo. It's not very good, but it's there and it's fine. I, I popped $5 in it. I bought... I bought DLC for Silent wow. Hill Book of Memories in the year 2022. Add some stuff, some new weapons and, and characters and stuff. It's fine. It's all right. Levels take so fucking long, though. And there's a lot of, like, running slowly through, like, just corridor room, corridor room. And keys that you need to open doors that might be quite far away are just in random drawers and things. So if you miss one, like, you're then just running around looking through fucking drawers, um, hoping for the best. Uh, the gameplay is fine sort of simple hack and slash stuff and that is that um i'll briefly rattle off another one i played killzone mercenary uh, i'm a big fan of killzone as a series mm. uh, killzone mercenary is still pretty fucking impressive it's a first person shooter uh, they they had on the psp um a strategy killzone game which i remember being fine I may re-get it to to see what it's like again but mercenary plays really fucking well really well um it's not perfect it's it's you know it's a decent shooter it's not mind-blowing but visually it looks really nice there might be a frame rate dip here and there but but it runs real smooth it looks really fucking good still not switch level good of course but no. good fucking good uh, and it's got, you know, it uses touchscreen with mixed results. It's got buttons for grenades and special abilities on the sides of the screens, which good use of touchscreen, good placement. Uh, melee attacks, you'll like press the melee button and then swipe in a direction on screen. You do not have to do it in the center of the screen. You can just use your thumb and just swipe it across. So it's fine. I believe you can turn those off as well if you don't care for them. But they're okay. And visually, they match what's going on. Like, the, you know, you'll, you'll attack a Hellgast and they might, like, move their arm in one direction to block you. You swipe in that direction. So it feels pretty good. 
So I like that. Uh, one thing I've noticed with this and a lot of the others is there are no servers anymore. So if they had anything neat built on online functionality, that you're not getting it. Um, from what I remember, Mercenary had a pretty fucking good multiplayer. Uh, again, not not brilliant, not as good as the console efforts, like the, the home console efforts. But I remember spending quite a bit of time on Killzone Mercenary on the Vita. It was fun. But you can't access it anymore, sadly, which is a shame. Um, so, yeah, I'll leave it at that until it's my turn again. But, yeah, Book of Memories, not that great. Killzone Mercenary, if you just like if you find a cheap copy and you've got a Vita, like, it's pretty fucking good still. Yeah. yeah, I like Killzone. I wish there'd be another one, but I think... I think Gorilla are just going to stick with Zero uh, Horizon now. I, I feel like that's going to be the thing for a while. Yeah. I always wanted to voice actor Hellgast. Don't think I'd be good at that. Anyway, what has people been playing? You played anything else, nope. Comrade? Cause this I've, is it. I've, I've, no, that's, that's, that's all I've played about. Okay. Well, should, we talk, should we talk about the news events? No, no, no. Hell no. We have more Vita games to talk about. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. PS Vita special. Vita special. PS Vita special. Tell me about the Vita and why it's special. Right? Played a couple of PSP games. God of War Chains of Olympus. Mm. It's fine. Yeah? It's like, it plays exactly like God of War, just doesn't look as good as a God of War because it's on the PSP. Um, very short, but very fun. Uh, I, I re-downloaded the other one as well, Ghost of Sparta. They're really quite good. If you like God of War, like they're decent little spin-offs. Like, prequel stuff and that. Um, so that's good. I played Unbound Saga. I'm not sure if anyone remembers Unbound Saga. That name is familiar. It's a brawler, like your Streets of Rage or whatnot. Huh. With basically just, like, copies comics as own. Okay. Um, in terms of presentation, in that it's got a comic book thing, and you jump... Like, when you change screens, you jump through comic book panels. Um, it's like 3D graphics, so they gave, gave it a little bit of a shell, cell shady look. It doesn't look great. It doesn't play very great either. It's just a very standard brawler. But I remember it, and I remember having a... Um, uh, it was sent to me. I, I don't think I've got it anymore. But I had an Unbound Saga statue. Ooh. As if, as if that was going to take off. Yeah, I had that. So I've got sort of fond memories for for it just because I, at one point, had weird merch for this game that no one would care to have merch for. So there was that, and uh, Unit 13, I think I played a couple others, but Unit 13 is the other one. Um, that was, I believe, around about the Vita's launch. It was a third-person shooter, and it's pretty crap. So let's get on to news. Nice. PS Vita special. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, let's let's start with a really quick one. We can just rattle off. We got any Vita news? Uh, not not that I'm aware of, but I'll have uh... a look around during the stories and see what I can find. I'll see what the most recent piece of Vita news is. <laughs> it's probably that the memory cards are still fucking expensive. Yeah, and right. And fuck Sony for having proprietary ones. Oh, do you want a memory card? I was told when I got the fucking Vita. Oh no, you can get those anywhere, can't you? Got home. Ah, shit. Mm -hmm. Almost as much as the console. <laughs> Sorry, Laura, carry on. Uh, Google's apparently uh, reportedly deprioritizing Stadia. 
<laughs> oh, I'm so surprised that Google would would take a project that they built up to be a huge thing and then give up on it in under what under two years. At least they've stopped calling these things betas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> the thing nobody asked for is going away because nobody asked for it. Yeah. So we'll we'll read a bit here. This is from Business Insider. Google is getting rid of Stadia, basically. Um, they're focusing on securing streaming deals under the label Google Stream. Now, what is Google Stream? Basically, they're reaching out to companies like Bungie, Capcom, Peloton, and going, Hey, we have this tech. No one wanted it when it was ours, but do you want this tech for anything? <laughs> Apparently they they've stopped negotiating for to put more games on the service and they're just gonna s- give the tech to other people. <laughs> oh, this is genuine laughter. Yeah, I'm not putting it on. I thought I was putting it on at first, and then halfway through, I was like, "Oh no, I'm actually this is fucking funny." So I I can tell you where this began. So apparently when. <laughs> Before they cancelled Stadia, they got the idea of just giving other people the tech to make it their problem. <laughs> Last year, they made a uh, Google made a deal with Peloton. The cycling, yeah, the exercise, yeah, the yeah. exercise bikes mm. with the with the with the screens and the subscription fee. Give it another year, they'll be desperate enough to make a deal with actual pelicans. <laughs> um, so they made a deal to apparently have. Basically, Stadia would be the t- back-end tech to have games running on their on these Peloton exercise bikes, <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's the future of gaming. <laughs> yeah, they've they've apparently reached out to Capcom to be like, do you want to have it so people can play a demo of your games? in their web browser so they can go to capcom.com <laughs> and play a demo of a Capcom game. We'll sell you that tech. They're just they're just pointing the tech at other people and going, maybe you can make it work. Do you remember when they said that um, ISPs throttling data in America wouldn't be a problem because ISPs would just not. Ah. They'd, they'd just out of goodness of their hearts stop throttling data. Yeah. Do you remember when someone who was in charge of Google Stadia said that out loud with his mouth? While they were simultaneously closing down their own uh, initiative to put fiber optic in... Yeah. Every major city, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they were... F- <laughs> Google Stream. Uh, I got a stream for Google. I was just going to do a stream of piss joke. Oh, God. This is the best day of my life. It's the Vita special. Hang on. It's the Vita special and Google Stadia. Comrade, do you want to do you want to talk about this next story about Microsoft trying to do some weird? We're, we're definitely we're definitely not going to be a monopoly. Well, yeah, this this just sort of dropped a little while before uh, the stream. Microsoft is is starting to get the word out that no, we're not going to be a monopoly if we acquire Activision Blizzard King. Uh, so they've put out this statement on the on the Microsoft on the issues blog. <laughs> where they are 
specifically going out of their way to say, hey, we love the idea of regulation. You know, we think it's going to bring some challenges, but we also think it's going to lead our businesses into some exciting new directions, essentially. Uh, they're buttering up regulators and they are implementing what uh, a, a series of app store principles. And I love this because it's not merely – we're not interested in a monopoly. It's, hey, do you see this other company over here that you've been looking into? That's the, boy, that looks like a real antitrust problem you should pay attention to. Yeah, not not like us. We're going to keep our games multi-platform for a little bit and stuff. Yes, well, and that, that winds up as an end note in this. But I think the more important aspect of it is deflecting away from yeah. them to Apple. Yeah. And so I do want to quickly go over these open app store principles. So that we can all uh, sort of look at uh, look at them in, in a, a little bit of uh, that light. Okay, so the first three fall under a heading of quality, safety, security, and privacy. One, they're going to enable developers to access the app store as long as they meet reasonable and transparent standards for quality and safety. They're going to protect consumers and gamers who use the app store, and they're going to respect consumer privacy. Okay, that's those all important stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Second heading is accountability. Item four, they're going to hold their own apps to the same standards they hold competing apps. So they're not going to show favoritism for their own things. And in five, they're not going to use non-public information to compete. Okay. Wow. All of this is seeming like uh, raising questions about how some other app stores may be conducting business. And not just Apple. Epic as well, I yeah. think, falls under this. Fairness and transparency. Has two, number six and number seven. They're going to treat apps equally without unreasonable preferencing or ranking. Unreasonable is an interesting word choice, but we'll yeah. uh, we'll we'll breeze past that. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're promising transparency about rules for promotion and marketing. All of this makes sense. Now, the big one, as it pertains to Apple, is developer choice. And this is the last four items, numbers 8 through 11. And I'm, I'm making sure that these numbers are noted for a specific purpose we'll get to in a moment. Developer choice encompasses they're not going to require people to use their in-app payment system. Mm. They're not going to require developers to have more favorable terms for their store. They're not going to disadvantage developers if they do so choose to use a different payment processing system. They are not going to prevent developers from communicating directly with their customers through their apps. So, those four things right there are the key issues that Epic sued over. Yeah, 100%. That's a retelling of the Apple Epic lawsuit right there in, like, four bullet points. Right there. Okay. And then they do go on. They take a, a brief step away from, from this stuff to talk about uh, how they're not going to uh, just wall off popular Activision Blizzard King projects. Like, they're, they're saying that they're going to continue to support that. They're, they're making some sort of, you know, election that even past these current agreements, there's a, a likelihood that that will continue. To, whatever. Fine. It's the last bit that I think is, is really, really interesting. S uh, some may ask why today's principles do not apply immediately and wholesale to the current mm -hmm. Xbox console store. You see, in regards to Xbox, Microsoft has decided that only the first seven things, the ones that have fuck all to do with payment processing, those are going to be implemented in the near future. 
No clearer indication that they plan to open up payment systems inside their platform, but it's different because games are a very specific use case and regulators aren't interested mm-hmm. in pursuing that. They're, you know, the, the real focus needs to be on these broader platforms like PCs and mobiles. And while I don't disagree with the importance of addressing these very broadly accessible and used platforms, hmm, it's interesting. It's interesting that what's what's good for the goose in this case is not entirely good for the gander. Yeah, it is a shocking level, a shocking level of uh, a double double standard. Who'd have thunk there might be a double standard involved here? We support regulation of a market we're attempting to grow share in, but not in one where we're perfectly happy with how we're doing. Yeah. Sorry, I... There seems to be some sort of tone of sarcasm in your voices. Um, I am taking everything Microsoft says at face value because it's proven um, a trustworthy company. No, not company. Let's go with family in the past. Oh, yes, of course. Family. Nyuk, nyuk. And might I add nyuk. These are the actions of a company that well fucking knows how to deal with antitrust regulators. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. That's, I mean, that's all I have to say about it, really. I think it all kind of speaks for itself what they're attempting to do here. But uh, we're going to see a lot of this over the course of the next year. Uh, a lot of announcements and promises that Microsoft is going to do things in the interest of consumers. Be ready. It's, it, you know, to, to turn around and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some other bits to rattle off quickly. You know how last week we were talking about how Ubisoft is like, Still in on NFTs? They sure are. Pranks. Yeah. Well, they're they're continuing to be in on them in that they're just like giving their brand to other NFT people to make NFTs. They're putting rabbits in a thing called the sandbox, which is a NFT voxel project. It's a it's a game that you buy a voxel NFT characters for, and now you can have a, a rabid to play as if you buy an NFT because Ubisoft is shameless as all fuck. Like they're, they're, they're not backing down. They they may not. not have sold any of their own, but they'll they'll give their they'll sell their licenses to be in other people's NFTs. They've learned they can get away with systematically covering up for sexual assault. Like Ubisoft doesn't give a fuck because it knows that no matter what it does, says, allows, perpetuates the moment Assassin's Creed comes out, the moment Far Cry comes out, no one fucking cares. Nobody yeah. fucking cares. Unfortunately, yeah. It's disgusting, but un- unfortunately that's the way it is. There are some companies, as we've seen, that can be cowed into backing off, up to and including the World Wildlife Fund. Oh my god, fucking right? hell that one. Actually, do we want to divert onto the WWF for a sec? I want to I want to divert onto that for a yeah. second. The, the, the charity that's whole thing is like, hey, let's protect the endangered animals, got in on F- NFTs, the things that are burning the planet and the animals are going to die. Yeah, they were willing to wage a decade-long war against Vince McMahon, but backed off of NFTs immediately. Look, you know what my the the one thing about this that upset me and that disappointed me 
is I was so sad that one of the NFTs wasn't of a sad polar bear on a melting ice cube. <laughs> like, I, I want... Because, like, that's the fucking imagery they use for global warming all the fucking time. I was like, please... You're so blind to what you've done here. Please tell me there's a polar bear on a floating bit of melted ice that you've NFT'd, and no, apparently not. And I'm disappointed they didn't ruin it, but they didn't do worse. So yeah, the World Wildlife Fund. But it's okay, they planted a tree. So it's okay that they, they sold NFTs. Um, but yeah, um, some companies will back down in the face of this this groundswell of pushback, but there are some companies who just will never feel the need because they don't they don't need consistent public opinion to sustain themselves. They just need to hunker down until the next big release. This is why Square Enix is still bullish on this. This is why Ubisoft is still bullish on this. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, like I said last week, I am still afraid for the future and what NFTs will bring. Because in the gaming community especially, a multitude of sins will be forgiven. Up to and including... Um, being the game industry's version of the Vatican. I will say, I do appreciate the companies that are coming out up front and just saying, no, we're not going to fucking yes. have anything to do with them, as opposed yes. to the ones that do it and backtrack. Uh, this week's most recent one, and it's been sort of appreciated outside of gaming, interestingly, because there's been other art spaces that have been getting into NFTs, and like a lot of artists have been moving here, is itch.io. Yeah, I just got to say for itch... Slash itch.io, slash itch.io. <laughs> I just cover the bases. Yeah. Yeah, I think it I think it might be itch.io. But I can't be sure. Any one of them. But I just want to quickly say, respect to them on in a lot of ways recently. Yes. A lot of ways. They came out pro sex content, like, you know, like after Game Jolt was like nah fam. Yeah. Yeah. Respect to itch a lot lately they are consistently sticking their neck out a little to be on the right side of things yes and i'm glad to see that they've been getting some broader attention outside of games for this because i do think that itch is i mean i use itch to sell my audiobooks and i think it's a great platform for distributing really any kind of, of digital content that that you want to to make available uh, it's great for it. Yeah, a lot of artists have been have been um, moving over there this last week or so because a lot of the previous places to host and sell artwork from were starting to introduce NFTs, and a big part of the the love coming to itch is being like, oh, a new place, and it's not just video games. I can put other stuff here. Yeah. So we'll read quickly their tweet. A few have asked about our stance on NFTs. NFTs are a scam. If you think they're legitimately useful for anything other than the exploitation of creators, financial scams, and the destruction of the planet, then we ask that you please reevaluate your life choices. Fuck yeah! That's that's a good that's a good direct fucking statement right there. Like n none of this wishy washy bullshit. That is a good. That's how you do it. None of this. Oh, we're looking at the market. We're rethinking our strategy. It's like no, they're a scam. Yeah. They are a scam. There's no no need to be fucking diplomatic about this. They're a scam, and if you go in on them, yeah. if if you are perpetuating them to to the degree that these companies are, you are a twat. You are an twat. Indeed. And the last little bit of news we got this week is, uh, you know, we've seen we've seen some acquisitions from the big console manufacturers recently. We've we've seen the uh, Microsoft Activision Blizzard King thing, Sony and Bungie. And people, you know, some people have looked over at Nintendo going, 
Okay, what are, you, what are you gonna do now? Yeah, why? Why would you? Why would you look that way? Exactly right. <laughs> it, it's it's the company I would least expect to do that. And to confirm what everyone kind of suspected, Nintendo is uninterested in chasing Microsoft and Sony's acquisition frenzy. People who do not possess Nintendo DNA in our group would not be a plus. And I'm like, yep. I mean, like, look, Nintendo making acquisitions has happened, but they don't no. do it just to get into arms races. Like, if you look at the acquisitions Nintendo's made over the years, the main one was, like, they don't tend to acquire studios. They'll make informal arrangements to have specific games come to them in specific situations. Like, we saw... I, I like... I, I'm sorry, and I don't mean... But every every time... Yeah. Now, as you describe this, just in the background of my my mind, I, and I can't help but this think this, it's, I'm thinking of organized crime and how it does business. <laughs> and I I mean, I, not to, like, suggest no, any, no, anything but... of the sort, but... Yeah. The, it is. Look, inf yeah, there's just an understanding that goes on. Because, like, the one I think about is Platinum Games doing Bayonetta 3, Astral Chain, stuff like that, which was Nintendo going, look, we don't want to acquire you as an entire company, but we do need a mature-rated game to sort of fill our roster out, and you need money to make it. Why don't you make it for us, and then you go on your way? And historically, Nintendo has long, long, long had a policy of favored third-party developer status. And that doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, it just speaks to what I've always said about Nintendo just being so anomalous. Like, it, it just exists. It's part of the game industry, but it's not part of the game industry. It's always been its own thing. It's a toy maker. That's how they think of themselves. And that's not to, like, diminish or cast aspersion uh, or on that mindset, even. No, if anything, if anything, I respect that mindset more than anything else. Yeah. Right? You know, th this is the thing that they're making. And it's I, I think it also should be, you know, hey, it's okay for adults to enjoy toys. It's, it doesn't mean that they are a company that's only making kids stuff or, or whatever. But they are making things that are much more broadly accessible. Yeah. And, like, this isn't to say that they never make actual uh, acquisitions. Um, back no. in 2021, they bought out um, Next Level Games, who were the developers of Luigi's Mansion 3. But it's those companies. Usually. It, it'll generally be, we let a smaller developer work on one of our IPs, and they did really good work, and we'd like them to do more. We put a little bit of our Nintendo DNA into this company, and we've decided that now we want it. Because, like, the, you know, we talked last year about the fact that Mercury Steam, who did Metroid Dread, have some problems with not properly crediting their workers and, like, forced overtime. Putting that aside for a second... I wouldn't be surprised if, like, that's an acquisition I could see Nintendo making, is you've made a really well, critically well-received game in one of our franchises, and you are a small enough scale of company that, like, an acquisition is on the table. I could see that. They're never gonna buy Square Enix or Capcom or anything like that, because that's just not how they do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it for today, unless there's any... Actually, no, I didn't look if there's Vita news. Uh, I did. Oh, what's the, what, what Vita news did you find? The biggest news is that it's, like, lately just been used in comparison shots with a Steam Deck. Oh, okay, okay. The Steam Deck's fucking huge. Grand Kingdom got delisted in Japan. 
Uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 HD were removed from the PlayStation Store uh-huh. uh, back in 2021, back in November. A lot of his things were taken away. Yeah, yeah. Vita's not got a lot of news. No, oh, no, no. no. Um, uh, Freedom Wars and Soul Sacrifice on the Vita, their, their servers shut down. Yeah, Soul Sacrifice, that's a good one. I yeah. re-downloaded it, but I didn't realise there was a re- like revamp soul sacrifice delta which doesn't have a physical copy so you are kind of bound by the price on there and it ain't cheap it ain't as cheap as a vita game should be in 2022 Ooh, i did find some news from april 2021 ex sony employee sheds light on the thinking behind the vita's proprietary memory yeah i'm reading this live the platform holder was terrified of hacks of the console christ well, I mean, look, the PSP did have a real fucking problem with being very easy to get emulated software running on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, proprietary memory cards were to deter hacks. It was purely a, we know that customers don't want this and it'll be expensive, but we don't want a repeat of our last console where it was real fucking... They didn't want the situation the Switch is in now, where it's really easy to hack your console, so they made proprietary memory. Yeah, they didn't. they didn't want... An exploit using an easily available commercial device. Yeah. yeah. They, they didn't want it to be easy for you to plug a memory card into your PC and play around with it there. That makes sense. And that's why you've got to buy an expensive nonsense card that fucking does not need to exist. Over a, a threat that doesn't actually seem to affect bottom lines in any meaningful way. Again, as the Switch has shown. <laughs> hmm. Really doesn't seem to make a fucking difference. Uh, well... You know what does make a difference? What makes a difference? The inspirational body of work from one Laura Kate Dale. Oh, I wonder if we can me. know more about oh. that. I mean, uh, sure, I can tell you more about that. Laura K. Buzz, that's where you'll find me on all the places. A Twitch stream Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. Uh, you can find me on YouTube where every Friday I upload episodes of Access Ability. I will not have an episode up on Friday this week. It will be going up on Monday of next week because it's going to be about Horizon Forbidden West, which the embargo lifts on Monday. I'm allowed to say that. So there will not be an episode this Friday, but there'll be Monday and Friday episodes next week. Laura K. Buzz in all the places. I do a bunch of books. The one that's coming up at the moment is Me and My Dysphoria Monster, which is coming out August 18th, 2022. I'm doing a children's book. Go give it a look. There's beautiful art on the internet of it. What about you, Conrad? What do you do? Oh, so much. But you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. You can hang out with me on Twitch four days a week at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks at conradreads.com. And everything that I do online gets supported directly through Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling. That's me. Oh, fuck. That's me. That is you. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. I also stream at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Also, uh, it's not up yet, 
but I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I was at the last North Wrestling event. Uh, that will either be on their Patreon or on their uh, North Wrestling YouTube channel. March 26th will be their next show. Uh, Commander Sterling will be there, will be competing. Uh, you can get tickets for that at northwrestling.co.uk. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who already confirmed they'll be going to the next one. And of course, you turned up last time. It was amazing. Best response of my career. Uh, also on kotaku.com there is a oh, uh, an article yeah. uh, about me uh subject matter it's a real lovely good piece it's so well written and it, you. i'm i'm very happy for you it's called from pathetic edge lord to youtube's princess of pansexual pandemonium um princesque is actually what i go with um, yeah as commander Stone, yeah. but whatever i mean if that's the biggest problem with the piece i think i think that is pretty all right mm-hmm. it goes into my early career you know a lot of people i don't know if that's the headline they should have gone with because a lot of people think kotaku is just calling me a pathetic edgelord even though it's a quote from me it's how i describe my sort of very early 2000s era career you know i'm i sort of quite famously at this point um evolved a lot from that um so it talks about that evolution it talks about what my work entails these days there's stuff about my transition and stuff about my wrestling isaiah colbert interviewed me for it they did a really good job i think i think it's a really nice article and 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 yeah it's it was nice it's nice to have a little like look at my career i guess it's a very good piece, and from a purely selfish standpoint, one of the videos in there is the one that we did together, and that makes me happy. Yeah, that is true, yeah. It, yeah. it is there. Um, so yeah, uh, check that out, uh, kotaku.com if you want. Um, don't look at the tweet replies to Kotaku's tweets about it. Oh my, no. Oh, never never interact with anything to do with Kotaku's social media. Right? They are hate-followed to such a degree. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Mm. Um, God, Kotaku Mm -hmm. is just like better than I am at pushing gamer buttons and I try, they don't have to, they just exist but anyway, uh, that's the stuff thank you so much for tuning in and for all of your support Um, and yeah, we'll see you next time Bye. bye bye